back everybody, it's time for Customers Who Click again. Today's topic is a bit more technical and does require support from your development team, but it's super important to conversion rates and the customer experience. Today we're talking about site speed and I'm joined by Robert Rand of JetRails. Site speed is really important, so as marketers you do need to work with your dev teams to make sure that all those extra widgets and plugins you want to install won't just trash your site speed. It's particularly important because Google rolls out an update in June that really focuses on site speed. But let's get Robert on to go into the detail. Hi, Robert. Thanks for joining me today. Uh, Can you tell us a bit about yourself, uh, why you're doing what you do? Sure. Well, thanks for having me today. And uh, my name is Robert. I oversee partnerships and alliances at JetRails. And I've been in the web, digital marketing and e-commerce industries for probably about a decade and a half now. Uh, I started off uh, really helping to build up a digital agency that did design development and digital marketing. Uh, Ultimately, we were acquired in 2017 after about 10 years uh, of running. And uh, it was a great experience helping brands like Swiss Gear and Invicta Watches to break into e-commerce. We were the digital agency record for sports teams like the Florida Panthers hockey team, um, government projects and uh, universities and all sorts of interesting things. So I have this this love of the game, so to speak, because it is always changing and evolving. Um, and after that point, I kind of got a, a little bit of a breather and got back in on, on the partnership side where I'd still get to work as part of this uh, amazing internet community and helping businesses to grow and thrive. And uh, that's led me to JetRails, where we provide mission-critical web hosting and w- we support uh, both e-commerce and and non-e-commerce users that need more overall stability, reliability, the you know all, all the all the buzzwords, right? Speed, scalability, uh, you know, security, all these things mashed together, and and I just found it was an awesome team uh, to be a part of, and uh, you know, something that that I felt really good about, <laughs> and still do about two and a half years in. So hopefully that answers the question. Yeah, no, that sounds great. Um, so obviously today we're, t- we're talking about site speed, um, which is uh, obviously really, really important for businesses, um, especially when it comes to kind of marketing and conversion rates. So yeah, do you want to just talk talk us through a bit of, around like why it's important to to be kind of monitoring your site speed, like who and who's responsible for it? Sure, uh, there's a few ways to break it down. So. There's a lot of historical data here. Uh, We've known for many, many years, especially as users really started to pick up mobile devices and whether it was, you know, 3G or, you know, earlier uh, generations of of mobile internet connections and things, uh, it really started to matter more and more. Uh, and, And of course, as users began to do more on these devices like shop, and sometimes I think one of the early challenges was convincing merchants that just because they don't buy on their phone or their tablet doesn't mean that that's not where they sit doing their research and learning about your brand and your products and figuring out what they want, even if they might still go to a desktop to make the ultimate purchase. You know, and so the early data told us things like Google back toward 2016, um, you know, stat that I like to, to just pull regularly, uh, 53% of mobile site visitors would leave a page if it took longer than three seconds to load. And so that's 2016. 
that we're, we're going back five years. It's not really news to the market. And some of those same studies, uh, you know, that, that Google had commissioned, they saw that as page load times went from one second to 10 seconds, the probability of a mobile site visitor bouncing increased by 123%. So, you know, that's going back a while, you know, and, and so if you add the page load speed increase from one second, very fast, up to five seconds, the bounce rate increased 90%. Uh, and so, you know, th that's the history of this. Now, we fast forward and, you know, 2019, you have Unbounce doing more research and, you know, nearly 70% of consumers admit that page speed impacts their willingness to buy from an online retailer. Consumers sometimes think that they're more patient than they actually are in uh, in some of these studies. So we keep learning and it keeps validating what's obvious uh, that we're impatient. <laughs> we don't want to wait. Uh, we take it into account. And it, in some ways, it, it's probably subconscious that it helps us to identify trust and quality, uh, whether a site is fast or not, or particular pages in a site. Sometimes there's that confusion be between talking about the website loading speed and page loading speeds, because if the, the page that they're hitting is slow, that's what really matters. If you have a fast home page, but you're driving them through a marketing campaign to a product page that's weighed down by something, uh, you know, one isn't going to help the other necessarily. So, uh, so that's kind of the, the high level way of, of looking at, at, you know, why it's important in terms of who's responsible Ultimately, the buck stops with the merchant. So, and that's because there are different things that are going to impact site speed. It's not one factor. It's not one uh, sole vendor or uh, or item on a checklist. It's many, and so that's why typically the the merchant, kind of like security, has to take uh, the reins on it. Has to ultimately be responsible because at the end of the day, if it's bad, they're the ones suffering. And from there, they can go and pull in the right resources and identify what some of those bottlenecks are, who's responsible for them. Um, but be because this is kind of a Hydra situation, there's many heads <laughs> involved. Ultimately, the, the business owner really ha has to own it. Yeah, completely agree. Uh, I guess, sorry, what, what I kind of meant was actually within the company, um, who should be responsible because... You know, obviously, this is a marketing podcast. No, no, that's a that's a great um, way of further breaking it down. Well, because you know, one of the things that we find, I find that some people say, "Oh, I'm using a SaaS platform; it just goes the speed it goes," and they're missing something there. That they're using different apps, they're using different theme files, they've uploaded different images and things to the site, and they have more control than they realize of their their destiny as it relates to site speed within the business itself there are going to be different stakeholders. And so marketing is absolutely going to be impacted in a, a myriad of different ways that I'm, I'm happy to chat about. Uh, but typically, and this really depends on the staffing of the business, whether it's you know more of a startup, small business, or you know whether it's a, a larger organization with a, a larger team, typically there's going to be some form of e-commerce manager, whoever's wearing that hat, um, that hopefully is going to act like the project manager when it comes to site speed and uh, and direct all of the appropriate in-house or external staff members or vendors to do what needs to be done 
to measure and ultimately uh, optimize the site speed. If you're a marketer and you're not um, putting some internal pressure uh, on uh, your team to be focused on site speed uh, and just allowing it to negatively impact you, you're not doing yourself uh, a lot of justice. So I, I think that there is a bit of a, you know, and, and that's where I use the term stakeholder. Uh, there is a bit of a shared responsibility to identify the challenges, um, even though it may not be the marketer who's ultimately responsible for addressing them. Yeah, I, I do think um, in marketing teams, just a lot of marketers just aren't even aware. Um, they're not really aware it's an issue and they wouldn't even consider it to be something that marketing should even be touching. Um, it tends to be people who do you know, conversion rate optimization like myself. Mm-hmm. Um, that is something we're you know, fairly focused on. You know, I, uh, I do place an importance on it. Um, I don't think it's the, I don't think it's going to end the world if you've got a, a, you know, a slight, what would be considered a slightly high site speed, but, um, but it's something, you know, I'm paying attention to. I'm making sure that, you know, if, if new plugins and, and widgets and things are added, we're, we're just monitoring how that affects site speed. Cause Absolutely. You, know, you can well, come I- up, you can introduce some new, uh, like heat map tool or a, a new pop-up kind of widget or even a, a review tool. But if that bumps up your site speed, uh, that, that's going to cause a problem and, and you need to be aware of that. Well, and that's, you know, an, an, another key piece of the puzzle that site speed changes over time. It's not static. It's just like security. There are new threats and new things that need to be dealt with. Uh, I draw a lot of parallels between the two. It is something that requires ongoing review and attention to just, you know, like other things, you know, you taste the soup, you make sure that it still tastes good, that it's still doing what you need it to do. But I think that, so there are are a few layers to the onion that I like to uh, peel back. First, when we're talking about, uh, you know, can your brand survive with a less than ideal loading speed? Well, you know, how long do people wait in line for a new iPhone in, in you know, in, in a normal time, right? It, people will have some some allotment of patience for something that they already really want, that they have a lot of trust in, that they have strong feelings about, you know, if it's Black Friday and they really want this uh, exclusive product that's available exclusively from this site, they'll put up with some latency, with some slowness. But if they're coming to your site for the first time, they don't know the brand. Uh, if you don't have that rapport, it, it could certainly be more damaging. Um, will it be the be-all, end-all? Look, if you've got the best price, if your site is beautiful, if um, you have all these other checkboxes and it's really good, maybe speeding it up won't have as much impact for you as uh, as for folks that are already further behind in uh in their ability to win that customer's heart and mind. Uh, But for the marketer, there are specific direct impacts outside of conversion rate optimization. And I think that's often something that that people miss out on that. Yes, um, the the slower website can have a higher bounce rate, a lower conversion rate, and, and those are all important things. But then we get into the direct impacts on advertising and marketing that can stop you from getting that click in the first place. And so if you look at platforms like Google Ads, there's uh, what used to be page speed scores. Now it's landing page scores. You're being scored based upon the quality of the website because Google knows intrinsically that, uh, and empirically through data uh, that they collect, that 
people, in this case, shoppers, consumers, don't want to click over to sites that they're not going to like. And they're not going to keep clicking on ads if they keep getting paired with poor, poor websites, uh, websites that, that uh, don't function well or uh, don't meet their expectations. And so this can actually impact your, your, your paid ad campaigns, uh, whether that's by making it cost more to have your, uh, your ads shown um, because you're not as competitive uh, in the overall uh, matrix or whether that's uh, affecting you because your ads simply aren't showing because you're uh, you're not as uh, as competitive. But SEO is the one that comes up even more often in conversation. And Google and other search engines have said for a long time that uh, that speed does have an impact. And it's gotten to the point that if you go into what we used to call uh, Google Webmaster Tools, now Google Search Console, uh, and you take a look, you're going to see the core web vital scores. And Google is actually going to show you uh, what pages in your site are loading too slowly, and they'll put it uh, in yellow or red uh, by just how bad of an offender you are. And will this absolutely tank your SEO rankings uh, from everything that I've seen from Google, including in recent weeks? It's not the number one ranking factor, but it's absolutely a ranking factor and important enough that they're trying to really put it in front of uh, SEO focused individuals by, by putting it right there in search console, as opposed to making you go to use one of their uh, outside tools, whether that was, um, you know, Google Lighthouse or uh, on Think with Google, there's Test My Site, there's Google Page Speed Insights, there's Web.dev. They've got a lot of these measurement tools, uh, but they've really put it front and center. And it goes back to the, the exact same thing as Google Ads. They have reason to want people to go to sites that are fast and otherwise meet uh the expectations of the people that are clicking. Uh, they want people to feel like Google is providing the best resources possible that make them happy. Uh, and at some point, you know, that, uh, you know, the website owners here, in some ways, they're, they're not the customers, you know, the searchers are the customers. So it's about what makes the searchers happy. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Google's placed a massive focus on that, not, not just with site speed, pretty much everything now is, uh, is this what the user wants? You know, yeah. is this is this page actually ask, answering the question that this search term is ask, asking? Is um, it going to bring the searcher joy? I think that's yeah. where <laughs> so many things have landed us in recent times. Um, so yeah, I mean, Absolutely. yeah, I suppose that, yeah. The good the point there is there's obviously the the on site effect of site speed, which is if your site is very slow, people will just abandon it. But then there's the the off site part, which is if your site is really slow, Google's not even going to bother showing it. So you won't even get those clicks in the first place. I mean, you exactly. still drive through um, uh, through Facebook and, and other channels, obviously. Um, is are there any any other kind of misconceptions around the importance of site speed? Well, and I think we've really covered it. It's you know people that don't realize that it matters as much as it does, and in other cases. People that, as you hit on, that might overfocus, that might think that oh, if they just get their site to you know this blazing fast speed, that they're going to rank above all of their competitors, or there's it's going to do something magical for them. When in reality, it is more nuanced. Uh, but 
generally speaking, uh, I can't think of, of a <laughs> situation where uh, a site hasn't benefited from speeding up, uh, where they haven't seen improved metrics in a variety of, the, of these arenas that we've just chatted about. So it's overall, it's a net positive. It's kind of like your doctor telling you that, uh, you know, you should eat healthy foods and you should uh, exercise and do other good things. Those that stick to a pretty good regimen, generally speaking, higher quality of life, maybe more longevity, other benefits, similar here that it's not that by eating healthy and exercising, you're going to live to be 200. It's not an infinite <laughs> or exponential increase, uh, but it's it's definitely going to have net benefits. And I don't think anybody's going to argue that. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Have you got maybe some examples of things that businesses need to be doing when trying to optimize site speed? Um, I guess sure. maybe, maybe from more from a marketing point of view. So obviously there's the there's the stuff right in the background, the, the technical stuff. When it comes to impacting the customer and, and maybe stuff that marketers could be doing to the website that might be positively or negatively impacting it? So uh, absolutely. There are things that are impacted by the technologies being used in the site. Uh, the, the website platform, the web hosting layers, including content delivery networks and things, um, but at a high level, when a marketer is adding content to a website, it's important to think about the weight that's being added. There are easy ways to compress images. Typically for the web, we've said for years, you know, instead of like 300 DPI, 300 dots per inch that you would use for, uh, for printing, you'd go to 72 DPI for uh for having images on the website the same way that you might upload it at a size that's more appropriate. It might not need to be like, you know, uh, saved out at a full screen resolution uh, that you would save something at a more appropriate size. There are actually, aside from using tools like Photoshop to do this, uh, there are even websites like squish.app uh, that make it really easy to just drag and drop something in there and it'll resize it for you, bring down that, that DPI, the dots per inch, and, and do things to help to make sure that as you're loading this content, uh, that it's not going to have as much weight on the web page itself. It's not going to take as long to load. Uh, similarly, it's so many today, they're going to use a third-party video player if they have any video to add, including maybe a video that uh, does a walkthrough of, of you know, some kind of product, shows off a product, that whether that's hosted with Vimeo or YouTube or some external resource, you keep it somewhere where it's embedded in that way and it's not really slowing down the loading of the web page itself. It's not trying to load this 20 megabyte video file along with the, the web page. And so a lot of it is just being cognizant as a marketer that what you add has an impact, that what you put in is what you get out. Uh, once marketers really get savvy around that as an overall way of thinking, um, it, it usually gets a lot better. And when they collaborate with whoever their web developers are um, to make sure that they're using the right tools or um, that, that uh, the thing they're doing things that make sense from that um, that technical perspective in terms of how they're adding content, what they're adding, uh, everything's good. You know, sometimes marketers they want to make a homepage that <laughs> that's a mile long 
and has, you know, what feel like uh, an eternity worth of images to scroll through. And at some point, uh, you know, you can minimize the size of those. You can do a lot of good things in terms of how they load, but you've still added a lot um, for the the shopper or the, the the web visitor's browser to load. So it's, I think being mindful is uh, is always step one for marketers. I, I suppose what brands really need is just, or not just, but um, uh, some processes and, and stuff in place to make sure that for anyone who has the ability to add something to the site, they have a, like a checklist to run through to say, you know, if you're adding an image, have you compressed it? Have you done this and that? Have you uploaded it in this method, which is quicker? Or have you, you know, done it in a way which is just adding, you know, a few megabytes? You know, yeah, I, I, I was do on you a... need that thing in the first place or are you just doing it, you know, just because... Uh, there are a lot of things, surprisingly, that when you go back and look at it, it's yeah, we really didn't need that. <laughs> yeah, that, you I mean, know that it, if it's circumspect, maybe sometimes less is more. And I think also for other visual reasons and other things, sometimes less is more. Letting the the shopper uh, or, or other website visitors stay focused on whatever your call to action is, and not having them diverted by as as many. Uh, heavy visual elements. But I'll add to that for the marketer. I think step two is being cognizant that whatever they're asking for in terms of scripts being added to the site, apps and extensions and plugins and modules and add-ons, whatever they're called with the website platform, the content management system, CMS that you're using, uh, that those have an impact too. And I, I think that that's also sometimes lost that, uh, you know, marketers can sometimes ask for a lot of things to be loaded with the website and not really realize uh, the impact that that can have. And, you know, including just sometimes it's just widgets, you know, things that are pulling in from social media platforms or other places that sometimes you assume that these platforms are well optimized and they're going to load quickly and they're not going to cause you any grief. But Sometimes they do. <laughs> well, I've seen, um, you know, those, you know, on a lot of um, e-commerce websites, you'll open up the navigation, uh, particularly on desktop, and they will have the kind of list of categories and items. And on the right-hand side, they have an image for some reason. Uh, they just, yeah, put images there. I, I've seen, you know, megabytes worth of images, GIFs in there that are, you know, I, I think one on one website, it was pretty much the biggest media asset on this website at, I don't know, I think it was about four or five megabytes. And it was this, uh, I think a GIF on this navigation menu, which was not clickable. It had no, it was just so pointless, but someone had thought we'll, we'll put that there because we've built this function to kind of highlight these messages. Therefore we'll use it. Um, but on your point around widgets and things, I think there's, I guess there's possibly a danger around, um, I guess, platforms like uh, like Shopify, which, which is absolutely fantastic, but it's so easy to just add widget after widget. And if you keep That's doing that, it's going to start adding up. And that, you know, I, like I I always think of these things in such similar ways. It adds security worries as well. Um, in a lot of cases, you're not controlling what's being displayed through that app or that widget uh, if it becomes compromised, 
now you have something loading through your website uh, that's malicious. And the same way that a lot of the apps, they connect over and get access to a whole load of proprietary data like customer data, shopper data. And at that point, uh, you have to really think about, you know, what you've just given access uh, to. Are you meeting your compliance standards, whether that's GDPR, CCPA, uh, other things that, you know, you should care about uh, what you're giving access to your site, that at some point it, it is too much. Um, that every year I see these websites use more and more apps and more and more of these, these other add-ons. And it feels so easy. Uh, and they don't usually know very much about the companies that are making and managing these if they are really doing a good job of securing the data on the other side, wherever they're storing data. Um, you know, so with the open source world platforms like Magento, uh, and WooCommerce, you would typically buy some kind of extension or plugin, you'd install it, and it's yours. And it's really, for the most part, sitting within your hosting environment. And, and that's that. But when you're, you've got 20 apps with access to all of your data, <laughs> and able to load things through your website outside of your control and all sorts of things, it's a different security challenge. Um, and, and especially, I think, because for a lot of, of folks, they don't see the challenge because th there's that just assumption that I'm paying for it. And so that's on someone else. Um, yeah. When additively, you really are taking on um, more risk. It's basically technical debt that now you have all these different potential things that can break down, yeah. that can have issues. I, so, wonder if, um, I wonder if people kind of assume that, uh, you know, platforms like Shopify would vet these, um, vet these apps. And I'm, I'm sure they have, I'm sure they do have quite a stringent review process, but I think that's that's probably another issue as well. The assumption is that Shopify has done that, therefore we don't need to. We don't even need to think about it. Um, yeah. And actually, I, I do I, wonder, I, and it's sorry, it's a, it's a completely separate conversation, really. But I wonder what sort of legal liability Shopify has around those apps if they're if they're installed through the Shopify App Store. Uh, and there was some sort of data breach. Um, does Shopify have any liability there? Probably not. I would have thought that T's and C's have protected them quite, quite well. I would think that they're pretty well protected, just knowing that there are apps in, you know, Apple and Google's uh, app marketplaces that wind up, you know, compromised or other things happen. And I, I don't believe that those companies, to the best of my knowledge, take liability uh, in those situations. There was a third-party products, um, and you know, when there's a breach or something that happens, they're just the marketplace, yeah. uh, or at least that's how they want us to all view it, right? They're going to put their hands up in the air. Uh, it's the same way if you buy a product from Amazon that turns out to, uh, you know, to have safety issues, Amazon's not going to take any, uh, any ownership of, of what just happened. You, you know, you bought a product from a third party. They're just in essence, the, the broker of the deal in between, but um, they're not the manufacturers, so to speak. Yeah. They're, they're not going to take ownership but, of it. But I wonder if um, there, I, I guess, yeah, no, it's again, a separate conversation, really. Uh, there's not much point getting into it. But, you know, with stuff like Apple, who who do control quite quite strictly which apps go into the marketplace. So therefore, like, I would have thought there'd be some sort of argument to say, well, you, 
you you know you you vet every app that comes in you know you you kind of review the code you you approve things you have a very strict process therefore if something does fail there is some liability there but i don't know well it's, and, uh, it's a conversation for a legal it, a legal podcast it it is but there's also in this world the challenge of we're not just talking about the app um getting damaged and maybe it's compromised maybe it was okay and then it wasn't um, and something happened between review and whatever update or whatever else uh, happened. But on the other side, it's what if, so they get access to your data. That's sitting now in their servers somewhere else. Uh, what happens when their their servers aren't properly protected and, uh, and there's a breach over there? Shopify isn't controlling any of that. Um, I, to the best of my knowledge, there's not a lot of uh, focus put on that. You know, that I'm sure that they have uh, have folks sign that they're going to, you know, uh, abide by basic regulation, but I don't think that there's real oversight into the depth of security, you know, just saying, Hey, you know, you're going to abide by GDPR is one thing actually making sure that some of these app startups and others are properly deploying, uh, web application firewalling and other important things. That's another story. Yeah. Uh, you know, and so that, that's where it is hard for them to take liability. I think that a lot of these um, SaaS companies can do more to set standards for the, the app providers. But again, but I'll pull that back to speed that the same way that uh, there are those out there. Um, there's a company uh, called Yota, Y-O-T-T-A-A, that has been putting out reports for years about the third-party technology uh, providers like the the apps and integrations, uh, and they've they look at security. But the main thing that they've for years looked at is speed. And so, being able to have an idea when you're choosing which of those apps you're going to install, thinking about which one is going to really slow down your site, or which one is going to leave it just as fast in in essence, is something that it's so rare to see people do. Usually, it's not until businesses get to a certain size that they take advantage of that, even though some of this reporting and data is available publicly and, and they could be thinking about it, taking a quick look at it before making some of these choices. So I, I think that as we go forward, that more and more businesses are going to get savvy to just doing a little bit of investigating on their own, not making the assumption that uh, that the SaaS company or whatever other provider is going to be doing it all for them. Again, in the open source world, these users retain a lot more control in many cases, and they are uh, doing better with some of this. But in the SaaS world, uh, I think that there's still that um, that bridge, that gap um, that, that we need to uh, get across with it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so I suppose we've talked about a few mistakes that brands make around, you know, ad adding loads of widgets and um, yeah, which uh, which can impact site speed. Uh, do you have any? Are there any examples of things that maybe people are doing to try and improve site speed, but actually have have the opposite effect? Uh, it's probably a bit of a niche question, but yes, yeah, I, I guess it's maybe a misconception. Then, is there any misconceptions around techniques to improve site speed, which actually don't really impact it? Or so there, there is actually. There are a lot of these speed tests. I mentioned some of the, the Google ones. One of my favorite for years has been GT Metrics. 
you know, there's others, you know, from Pingdom and webpagetest.org and KeyCDN and, you know, DareBoost and all these speed tests. And those are great, but they're not going to, the same with the Google tests, they're not going to necessarily uh, be built with your website in mind. And so depending on what technology you're using in your stack, they may have a hard time. There may be false positives there. And in some cases, what I see is business owners that want to get, let's call it, you know, an A plus, they, they want a perfect score. They want a hundred percent. And when you're talking about a more complex e-commerce site, that's just usually not feasible. That's not what you want to be focused on. You want to be fast so that shoppers have a good experience. You want low bounce rates and, and other good, uh, good variables, um, you know, to, to be part of uh, your matrix there, part of uh, the equation that, that you're building for yourself. But you don't want to get focused on dumping money into getting this little thing improved that's not really going to change the speed, that it's going to be a fraction of a fraction of a, you know, you're talking, if it's going to change your site speed by two milliseconds and you just spent, you know, $1,000 trying to achieve it, I don't know how to justify it for m most merchants. So yeah. I suppose it comes it, back to don't, don't obsess over it. Yeah. You, don't need, you don't need to pick out every little opportunity that, that should affect site speed. Exactly. There are some basics that I come back to. And some of this goes back to those that are on open source or, or hosted platforms. You know, your hosting is, is going to be key for this. Having the right fast hardware that you're running on with the right content delivery network, CDN, like Cloudflare. Uh, having... Um, the right caching systems running like Varnish, Redis. There are all these things that go into the stack that can really make an impact, when, especially when you're talking about a more robust website. Uh, and what some of this is doing for people that, that aren't as familiar, if you think about how one of these web pages comes together, there are all these different images, all these different um, styles, uh, you know, fonts and colors and other things that have to get rendered together to actually be, you know, to look the way it's supposed to look for uh, the viewer, for the person that's visiting the website in a web browser. And a lot of these caching technologies and things, what they're doing, I like to compare it to being at a fast food restaurant. And instead of waiting for a chef to cook the burger and, you know, put the condiments on the bun and do all the other steps, they're basically preparing the whole web page in advance and having like this this cache version, this prepared version ready. So as soon as somebody tries to load that page, it doesn't need to do all that rendering, all that heavy lifting anymore. It's ready to go. Uh, and in other cases, like the content delivery networks, these are edge networks that sit out there uh, with servers all over the world. And so when somebody goes to visit the web page, they're going to be uh, getting a copy uh, of uh, a lot of these files and elements from a server that's closer to them. And that distance makes a difference. It might be a small difference, but it adds up. Um, these things also, uh, like Cloudflare specifically, has image optimization to minify and optimize some of these, these images and other things along the way. And so even if you missed something, they can handle some of that for you. Uh, in between. And so, and some of these things aren't terribly expensive. And in many cases, by optimizing your site better and other things, you know, better hosting, better 
uh, better tools like this pay for themselves, at least to some extent, in some cases, generously, uh, depending on how, how bad your speed is in the first place, right? Um, but but you get those layers. Then, uh, and so things like time to first byte, the time it takes just after the, the person types that web address or clicks uh, to visit that website in their web browser to start getting any data, you know, it should be, you know, a, a, a reasonable number of milliseconds, not seconds. And yeah. you'd be surprised at what we see out there, three, four seconds, just to start getting the first bit of data over the first byte, I should say. Yeah. I don't want to mix up my bits and bytes. Somebody will call me out for it. But but those sorts of things are, are very important. And it's not all about the web developers, that the hosts play a role. But, you know, and so that's that's a, you know, JetRails conversation that we have day in and day out. But then it comes down to the developers. And so, you know, sometimes there needs to be some code review to look for uh, those issues that could be slowing things down, some scripts that are kind of getting stuck that uh, that are slowing down the page load or, you know, some of these other things that we're talking about or, you know, around uh, images and, and other things. So you've got all these different things that should be coming together and understanding that as a team that it's going to come down to the, the marketers and people that are, are adding content. It's going to come down to the web host. It's going to come down to the developers and their coding and the quality of, of their work and the, the optimization that they engage in, including minifying and, and uh, doing other things to their code so that instead of running a bunch of files to do one thing, um, they add it all to one file. And that's less, uh, less intensive when it comes time to, to load the site. So there's, there's a lot happening there. And it doesn't have to be a lot when you've got a good team working together on it. When everyone just kind of throws their hands in the air and assumes somebody is taking care of this or, or it's one person's responsibility, that's where I usually see these things fall by the wayside. Okay, yeah, some, I mean, some great, great, uh, great ideas there, great tips. Um, are there any, do you see anything changing over like the next, maybe the next year or so, either in... The kind of the technology that will help businesses with site speed or maybe how consumers are, are, are kind of uh, reacting to it? So there are a couple of things that we've seen as trends in the market. Um, one is the use of PWAs, progressive web apps. And so that's basically replacing the front end of a website with more of that app experience that loads really quickly, that's really primed, uh, for the user. Um, you can do a lot of cool stuff with it. Uh, how one website uses this technology versus another is not exactly the same. It's more like thinking of a, a framework um, than it is one technology. So there are a lot of providers of this technology. Um, Magento has their own PWA studio that's now somewhere around version 10. Uh, there are other independent uh, folks out there like View Storefront and Deity, and I, I could keep rambling on some of these names, but we're seeing some of that take hold. That typically, for most, is going to improve the loading speed. Uh, that's going to have some some benefits, but it's still challenging. I'd still call it early days because imagine back to those apps. These, when you install a lot of apps in uh, or extensions in your web store they already integrate with the front end. So imagine you're adding something for reward points. Well, that's going to be displayed in the checkout, letting you know, do you want to spend some of the reward points that you've accumulated 
uh, through the loyalty program. And there are going to be other things that pull to the forefront when you start using the, these uh these progressive web apps, by and large, a lot of that still isn't part of the mix. You have to do a lot more of that development yourself. So it's still more of an early adopter phase. And I haven't seen one of these uh, these PWA uh, providers really come to the forefront uh, yet. I think that they're all still vying for supremacy. So we'll see where that leads. But that's been a hot button topic. Uh, for those that have the development um resource to really manage that for them. I think it's great. Uh, it's, I don't think it's ready for, um, for mainstream yet. I don't think it's really ready for most SMB players yet. Uh, we see a lot of folks um, outside of that moving to the cloud. And by that, uh, you know, that could be moving from, you know, a traditional set of servers with, you know, with a company like a rack space uh, going to AWS or, something uh, akin to that, um, you know, at JetRails, we service people on, on bare metal servers on those, you know, in our data center uh, deployments and with providers like AWS and DigitalOcean. That's led to a lot of confusion when it comes to, uh, to speed because a lot of folks assume that when they go to the cloud that that's automatically faster. And what they miss out on is that, you know, the, the word cloud um, they are just servers in a data center somewhere. And when you go to a big provider like AWS, they're not providing the management of it. They're not dealing with the, the optimization and the, the maintenance of the different hosting layers. So they're giving you the overall infrastructure. It's up to you to configure it and to add these content delivery networks and caching layers and all these other uh, tidbits that are going to make it blazing fast. So you know, we find a lot of users wind up coming our way. And sometimes that's, they're on Shopify Plus, they've written some custom integrations or apps, and they realize that whether it's speed or security or scalability, or, you know, one of these hot button issues that they need help. And, and so we wind up hearing from them that, um, that going to the cloud by itself wasn't the answer. Uh, like many things in life, it's not just about the technology, it's about the practitioners, it's about how who's managing it and how you're using it. So I, I find that that's also one of those things that people make a lot of assumptions about the cloud automatically being faster. Um, but <laughs> back to that, you're going to get out of it what you put into it. Um, the same way you could move from let's say WooCommerce to Shopify, your site won't necessarily be faster. In some cases, it'll be slower. Uh, it's going to come down to what themes you were using between the two and integrations and other things that uh, could be faster, could be slower. By themselves, these technologies are not specifically the way I think of them, faster or slower. Uh, it's really about how you use it. Yeah. Um, just, I guess, bring it back a little bit to, to marketing. Um, is uh, these pro progressive web apps, are they are they something that kind of e-commerce marketers could be pushing for? You know, I, I know you said it's still early days, but are, they, are these things that these marketers should be aware of and thinking, well, you know, how can we how can we get this working for our websites? Um, you know, does it does it work for an e-commerce store? Is it a page by page thing? So it's generally in the applications that, that I see, it's it's usually done for the entire store or at least everything up until perhaps the checkout in some cases. I personally think that marketers should at least be part of the conversation to say, this is new tech. Uh, let's look at it and not to get left out of the conversation. And there's two reasons for that. One is that 
you know, if, if the developers aren't really looking at it, if the e-commerce managers aren't really looking at it, and you're about to redesign the front end of your website or migrate from one platform to another, you want to at least think about that because you're going to use whatever theme or front end for years in most cases. So it is the right time to have that conversation. But as a marketer, you also want to think about, is this going to be harder for me to maintain? Is it going to be harder for me to launch landing pages or you know pro- anything else for that matter? Uh, because in some cases, you might need more development skill to launch pages with it or, or to, to do things with it that if you just used um, the native theming, you'd be able to do yourself as a marketer. And so I think that's an important question that, you know, marketers would know, oh, you know, they hear, oh, we're going with this new uh, progressive web app for the the front of the website. That sounds great. It's going to be faster. People are going to be able to save a a tile on their mobile devices, just like any other app. There are other um, cool things we can do with it. We can uh, create different uh, experiences with it that can load on different kinds of devices like kiosks in our stores or, uh, or you know, other places and ways. And so lots of great reasons, right? But they might not be thinking about how it's going to impact them and they should really be having that conversation before anything is uh, is written in stone. Yeah, definitely. I think um, it is an issue I, I've seen quite a few times where marketers kind of get left out of the conversations and suddenly a website has been redeployed on a new platform or an app has re- been rebuilt. And pretty much the only thing marketers know is that this is happening. Yeah. Well, and, and you and have to it. ask as a marketer, okay, it's going to be fast, but is it going to be easy for the search engines to read the actual content based on how it's going to be served up? Sometimes, yes, sometimes a little bit less so from what I've seen, because uh, things are just sitting in JavaScript or uh, in other languages, again, depending on the front end that's going to be deployed. You want to be asking, um, you know, from an SEO perspective, if you're involved in that, uh, what the expectations are and the same way look that with any migration you want to be asking about things like is the url structure going to stay the same because if not you have to worry about losing rankings because search engines like google uh, aren't going to see all the old pages with whatever backlinks link juice you know value that they had they're going to see something totally new i always recommend that when you're making a big switch like that keep all the content the same um, if you if you absolutely need to change their URL structure, make sure that you have your 301 redirects ready, but keep all the content the same so that at least the search engines recognize, yeah, the, the let's call it the, the picture frame changed, but the picture is the yeah. same that, you know, don't um, don't devalue this and think that it's completely different. And now you have to uh, start building up value again, at least. Uh, you know, at least the, yeah. there'll be some loss. So, you know, there'll always be some fluctuation. There's a bit of that roller coaster as you're getting re-indexed when you make major changes in, in a lot of cases. But th- there are these these things that I, I do like to think um, it, it's important to think about. I mean, in, in all cases, basically, if this is your purview, if you're going to suffer when, when this is done um, because it's going to make your job harder or it's going to um, damage something that you're, responsible for or have put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into, you do want to just confirm that everyone is tested this, that everything is is meeting approval. And even right up through launch, you want to be, you know, right there as part of that mix and making sure that immediately, um, you know, 
all the tools are connected, analytics and everything else, and that everything is working as as you expect, and that no one sleeps until it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, just uh, a, c- a couple of questions before we uh, that I like to ask guests before we finish up. Um, do you have any pet peeves when it comes to marketing? I do. I I'm sure I have lots of pet peeves. <laughs> it's, it's, a tough <laughs> Maybe. To, it's the tough one to pick the one, isn't it? You know, personally. I like when marketing is clear and brings value. I like when things are created with the end user in mind, not just with search engines in mind or, you know, not just, you know, being pure clickbait. I like bringing value. Um, I I believe that less is more. I don't like being bombarded um, with low quality. I like a focus on, on higher quality. And so, you know, when I see, brands that struggle with that. I don't mind getting a newsletter that talks about the good things that you're doing in the community or um, how you're empowering people out there somehow, as opposed to always getting an email about the latest sale. I don't mind if you send me you know, three different coupons and let me know that depending on which I choose, I'll get 10% off of the product and I'll get, and you'll donate 10% to whichever of the three charities I've chosen. Um, I like when there's something there that um, that I can associate with outside of uh, give us your money. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I like content with purpose. You know, here's a comparison between these these top products, and we're going to help you to figure out which you want in e-commerce. You know, Amazon yeah, brand, is a commodity marketplace. Yeah, brand, brand you don't go there to learn. You go there to, I mean, maybe you, you, you know, you compare things based on reviews and what have you, but there's not a lot of education. Yeah. I, I like brands that focus more on, on the education and more on the customer relationship. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, just not trying to sell at every touch point, um, providing some value. You know, literally before we record, we uh, we jumped on here. I was recording something else and. And that was another thing that came up. Um, one of the emails that we reviewed for this brand, uh, it was kind of structured as if it was supposed to do that, and like a piece of kind of blog content on how to how to look after yourself when you're working from home. But it was, you know, a sentence for each bullet point or a sentence for each point, and then just mm-hmm. went, oh, you can do this with this product. And then it was, oh, you can do it with this product. And so it just came across really salesy. Yeah. Um, well, and you know, I, I'm going to add one other more self-serving point, but, uh, you know, because I, as, as everyone has now heard, I, I love to talk about security because I think it's swept under the rug too much. I have believed for many years back to my agency days that, um, that marketers should be asking if, uh, if the website, you know, who's responsible for the website security, because when there is a failure of that, all the marketing in the world isn't going to solve it. Um, that the rankings go down the tubes. That uh, you know, consumer sentiment goes down the tubes. I do really feel like um, marketers that ha- basically, if you have a stake in something, it's not a bad idea to ask. Hey, when's the last time that there was a security assessment done uh, on our website? You know, do we know if we're up to date on PCI compliance, on payment card industry compliance. And you'd be surprised that the average e-commerce uh, business that I speak to on the SMB side, they're, they're not focused enough on it. And so they leave themselves susceptible. Uh, and that includes SaaS users. But uh, I, I find that that's 
those are the things that, you know, from a marketer's perspective, it's the, you know, putting the blinders on and just waiting to fall into the trap and then scrambling because, you know, the, the, those campaigns aren't ready. It's the same thing for scalability that you're now you're going to drive all this tremendous traffic to the site, but you haven't made sure that someone's done a load test to know that the website can handle the traffic. Uh, that uh, to me, that that's a failure as a, it's a teamwork effort. I think that the best companies don't completely silo. They communicate well, they interact well as a team, and they're all on the same page about these things being in, in good shape. And they support each other in making sure that things don't get uh, lost along the way, that these important topics uh, remain uh, at the forefront and, and don't get forgotten because these are things that are constantly in flux. Just because your site could handle you know, 2018's traffic doesn't mean that it could handle 2020's traffic. Just because your security was okay three years ago does not mean that it is right now. And just because your speed was good two months ago doesn't mean it is now. You installed some new app or you updated some files, you did something, and now there are pages that are loading slow. Uh, I think, um, you know, j just being proactive is... Uh, is always what I'm looking for out of a strong team when it comes yeah, to marketing. I think there's some really good points there. Um, yeah, about site speed and and security, and I suppose they are both linked. Uh, you know, especially when you when you're talking about plugins and things. Um, yeah, this has been really really helpful stuff. Really really great. Um, if people want to find out more, what's the best way of contact you get in touch? Uh, so I'm easy to find. Uh, I host the Jet Rails podcast, so uh, you know you can find me on LinkedIn as, as Robert Rand, or you know just reach out to us at Jet Rails. We're at Jet Rails on uh, on Twitter. Uh, I'm at, at the Robert Rand, uh, and uh, look forward to hearing from anyone if there are any questions or follow ups or. Uh, you know, I'm always happy to share insights and knowledge. I write a lot of articles. <laughs> I put together a lot of material. Always great to share the wealth and pay it forward. Awesome. Thanks, Robert. My pleasure. So as you heard, site speed is really important, particularly on mobile, where devices might not be connected to super fast broadband. A key thing to remember, though, when doing your analysis is that while your site might not appear to load too slowly on mobile, and the vast majority of your conversions might be on desktop, so many customers are doing research on their mobiles. And if they can't do that research because they're struggling to browse your site quickly enough, they won't come back on the desktop to actually make the purchase. You need to consider every new script you want to add to your website, uh, keep your Google Tag Manager tidy by removing anything not, not used anymore, and have some processes in place to ensure that banners or other content added to your website is optimized properly. Keep on top of those things, keep your processes working and you'll be all right. But if you let people loose on your website with no processes in place, you're just going to see your site speed skyrocket. If you want to reach out to Robert, you can find him on LinkedIn or Twitter as Robert Rand or contact JetRails directly. Any other podcast questions, feedback, guest requests, etc., please uh, tweet me at Will Lawrenson. Next up, I've got Derek Haney. We're going to be talking about tech stacks and how to identify the right tool to solve your problems. But until then, keep those customers clicking.